Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Pretty good? I feel pretty good. I'm excited to be here with you today to wrap up this series called Love is a Verb. We've been talking about this idea that love is not a feeling, that love is a verb. We've talked about this idea that we live out our lives in the context of relationships, don't we? No one lives in isolation. In fact, what we said in this series so far is that our highest highs have, have been moments when we were with people and our lowest lows have probably been moments when we were with people. We've also said that the quality of our life is really determined by the quality of our relationships. That means that if, if we have great relationships and our relationships are healthy with our spouse and friends and loved ones, then our lives are probably going to be uh, lived at a very high level. And so if that's true, and we believe that it is true, do you agree? Let's pour into our relationships. Let's try to make our relationships as healthy as they can possibly be. And so uh, we've been talking about this, uh, this other idea that relationships are difficult because as we're growing up and as we're forming and becoming adults, oftentimes our emotional needs, our psychological needs are not met. The deep questions of the soul oftentimes go unanswered or we get the wrong answer. And so we have these deficits in our life. We really don't know who we are and we don't know what our value is and we don't know where our place is in the world and are we, are we important. And so we come into our relationships with these things called deficits, these shortfalls, right? And then what we do is we compensate for those shortfalls. And in fact, what we said in the series is that most of our behavior, most human behavior, is really compensation for the deficits that we have in our life. And this is why the people in your life oftentimes annoy you right? They talk too much, <laughs> right? They, they want to be the center of attention. What, what's that? It's just compensation. Sometimes they work too much and you're annoyed at your spouse or someone in your life that's working all the time. What are they doing? They're compensating for a deficit. Now, not all human behavior is compensation, but much of human behavior is compensation. And it's those compensations that make relationships very, very difficult. Someone overworks, someone overdrinks, someone overworries. Someone overshops. Anybody dealing with somebody who overspends? <laughs> right? What's going on there? Right? There's, there's a compensation. And all these different things make relationships difficult. And so it's, it's within this, you know, this situation with these deficits and these compensations that Jesus' words really help us. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You, say it with me, must. This is not a should thing. A lot of us have should lists, right? <laughs> I should eat more. I should exercise more. I should eat more vegetables. I should, right? So we're like, yeah, that'd, that'd be great if I could just eat more. Um, you know, we, we, we should, you know, we should save more money. We should get out of debt. We should, we should, we should, we should. What would happen if we move those shoulds over to the must category? Would our lives, you know, get better? Yes or no? Absolutely, right? We'd actually do the things that we said we should do. Jesus said, this is not a should thing. This is a must thing. You must love one another if you want to have great relationships, if you want your life to get better, if you want the quality of your life to go up. Jesus is talking about something that we do, not something that we feel. Is there feeling, are there feelings involved when, in love? Absolutely. But here's the problem with feelings. They come and they Go, so you can finish that, right? That's good. They come and they go. So this is more of a commitment to do something for another person. And so love is a verb. We said on the back end of loving well is a great life for you because here's what you end up doing when you love well. You end up closing some of those deficits 
in the lives of the people that you love. And you, you act as a, a healing balm. You're not God, but you serve as God's hands and God's feet to that person, and you help them close some of those, some of those deficits, which makes your life better. And so <clears throat> here's what I want to do today. I want to wrap up this series by talking about what I think is a major problem when it comes to relationships or something that causes relationships to be very difficult and very strained. And here's the, here's the thought, ready? You want to be great. That's right. That's right. You heard it right. You want to be great. Actually, I could say it this way, and I think it would be a little bit more accurate if I said it this way. You want to actually be better than somebody else. You want to be better than somebody else. It's true. It's true about me. It's true about you. You know, I'm approaching 40 years old. It's incredible. I cannot believe that I'm going to turn 40 this summer. It's, it's wild. And uh, I still play basketball because I have a 15-year-old son, and we go play basketball uh, quite often. And I've told some stories about that. Sorry to bore you to death with another story. But we were at the gym the other day, and I'm noticing that, uh, you know, I'm not as fast as I used to be. I can't jump as high as I used to jump, and I have a lot more pain than I used to have, or at least remember having and it kind of annoys me because all these younger guys that are in their 20s are quicker and faster and, and they're moving. And, and I, want, I, I picture myself doing all these things and I just can't do them. And here's what I have to, here's what I walk away with. And, you know, I walk away sad because they're better than me. It's just, it's just a thing that I have as a man. It annoys me because I want to be better than them. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's something else. We all want to be great. We all want to be better than other people. And we can go through different examples. But I th- if there's anybody here that, that is just arguing with me that, no, that's not true. I'm one of those humble people. Here's what I would say to you. You're a liar. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not fair. Maybe you are further along in the journey than I am. But anyway, no. If you're there, great. That's where you need to be. You should be humble. And, and this shouldn't be an issue for you. But it was an issue for the disciples. Did you know that? The guys that followed Jesus around for three years, they wanted to be great. In fact, let me say it better. They wanted to be better than the next guy. They did. They did. Because they were just like you on the basketball, me, just like me on the basketball court, or you on Instagram or Facebook. You know how you want to look better than other people. Okay, no, that's not you, right? Because you're humble. You're humble. Listen to what happened with these guys. This is unbelievable. This is, this is, I love the Bible because to me, stories like this authenticate the Bible to me, okay? Because they wouldn't write this stuff in there because it just makes everybody look bad. But so, so here's the deal. They're, they're walking. They would, Jesus and his posse would walk from town to town, right? They didn't have cars and they didn't, okay. So they're walking from one town to the next. When they get to the town called Capernaum, they get into the house and, and Jesus asks a simple question of his, his, his boys. Watch this. He says, guys, what were you arguing about on the road? See, Jesus was maybe a little bit ahead of them, a little bit behind them, but he had heard the conversation, okay? And this word arguing means, it, I looked it up, it's kind of cool. It's like this back and forth discussion, like a ping pong ball. Back and forth, right? Did you get that? Wasn't that fun? Okay, anyway, anyway, they're arguing back and forth on the road. What were you guys talking about? Watch this. But they kept quiet. Why did they keep quiet? Because on the way, they had argued, they had gone back and forth about who was the what? Say it with me. Yeah, the greatest. I love it. I love it because these guys are just like me. These guys are just like you. You're comparing yourself against the next person, the next mom of three children, you know, (laughs) the next author, the next speaker, the next 
police officer, I don't know, whatever it is, how, whoever you compare yourself with. They were comparing themselves to each other, and they were arguing about who is the best. See, what Jesus had done, this is fascinating, Jesus had given these guys power to cast out demons and heal people. I know that's fascinating, but he did. He gave them a portion of his divine powers. It's fan, it's, I wish he'd give me some of that. That'd be cool. Our church would grow really fast, don't you think? Start healing people on Sunday mornings. Casting out demons. And that's what he did. And so that, I could just picture this. Well, when I, when I cast out a demon, it happens like in 2.5 seconds. You're, Pete, your demons, they, it takes them about four seconds to come out. I'm better, see? See, I can cast out a demon with seven heads. See, you, like you've never done that before, right, Pete? Or James, you know what? You, you've never healed a, a guy that was totally blind. It was just half blind. That's, that's who you heal. So I heal. The guys that I heal, they're totally blind. I'm better. I'm better. When I speak to crowds, there's, there, there's like 500 people. Pete, I checked out your crowds. It's like 250. See, I'm better. And they're going back and forth. about. They had to be talking about something. What were they going back and forth about? They were comparing each other to each other. Trying to find out who was the greatest. Now, here's a question I want, you, I want to throw at you. Why were they quiet when he asked the question? Why were they quiet? I can't prove it. I can't prove it, but here's my theory. Ready? Based on the text and the context of what's going on. They were ashamed. Do you agree? They had spent three years with the greatest human being to walk the planet. They spent three years with them. Learning from him, watching him, do a miraculous things, feed 5,000 people, walk on water, raise little girls from the dead. They had watched Jesus teach people. They had watched his humility. They had watched his meekness. Guess what Jesus never talked about? Guess what Jesus never leveraged? How great he was. In fact, it's, it's amazing if you're a New Testament you know, reader, which I hope, I hope you are, I hope you're becoming that. You read, you read the New Testament, you see Jesus do something miraculous, and what does he say? What does he do? When he heals somebody, what does he tell the person to do? Shh! Don't tell anybody! <laughs> because if you tell someone, then, then I'm going to become famous, and, and I'm going to become this person everybody seeks after. Now, that happened anyway, right? But he kept telling everybody, keep it on the down low. <laughs> Jesus didn't want to leverage his powers. He didn't want the attention to be focused on himself. He taught the exact opposite. And here are his closest guys talking about, have you ever seen me cast out a demon? Have you ever seen me? Have you seen the crowds that gather to listen to me speak? I'm better than you. I'm the greatest. And so they're quiet because they're ashamed They're talking about things that Jesus didn't care about, but they cared about because their hearts were not yet transformed, and neither is mine. How about you? See, the desire to be great causes all kinds of problems. The desire to be better than the next person causes all kinds of problems within the context of relationships. Do you agree? Let me give you a few examples. It causes a person to be preoccupied with himself. this This is what happens. Because they're always comparing themselves. The people on Instagram and Facebook and the next person. and They're always thinking about themselves and how they're... So their, their whole life is just about them. It becomes a very narrow life. And do you like to be in relationship with people like that? Yes or no? It's tough, isn't it, right? 
It causes, it causes tension because this person is all about them and their face and the mirror and who's talking about them and what's going on in their life. This cultivates pride. Actually, the root of it is pride, but it continues to cultivate pride that I'm better than you and all this stuff and no one likes to be in a relationship with a proud person. Do you agree? Yes or no? And then this person is always offended because it's all about them, right, and how good they are and how great they are. And, and then it's, so they're easily offended, which, by the way, we're going to do, next week we're starting a brand new series called Unoffendable. It's going to be incredible. Four weeks on how to become a person who's unoffendable. But this person's always offended because it's all about them and, and they're great and don't you know who I am and you shouldn't treat me that way. And so there's always offense. And then this person also loses sight of reality because they can't see beyond themselves and their own life. This is what happened with the disciples. See, right before Jesus confronted these guys about their argument on the road, this is verse 34. I want you to look back a couple of verses to verse 31. Listen to what Jesus was telling them. This is the context. This is incredible. Jesus just got done telling them that here's what's going to happen to me, guys. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will, say it with me, kill me. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. That was verse 31. In verse 34, they make it into town. They're talking about how great they were. Who's going to be the greatest? How could they go from hearing the Son of Man? The, the, this is the culmination of everything Jesus came to earth to do. And they heard him talk about the fact that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to spread out his arms. He's going to be crucified. Three days later, he's going to overcome death, rise from the dead to redeem mankind. And they get on the road and they start talking about who's the best? Is this not evidence that, you, that people who, are pre, who, who struggle to be greater than others lose sight of reality? Some of you are married to somebody like this. Their world is very narrow. They lose sight of reality. Here, here, here's what I was thinking about this morning as I woke up. There are 7 billion human beings, or close to 7 billion human beings on this planet. Do you understand that? How could the story be about me? It is not. There's 7 billion of us. The story is not about me. The story is not about you. It's not about who's better, I'm better than him, you're better than she is. No, 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 the story is about Jesus Christ. Is it, is it not? But this, this type of deal, when we're thinking about we're being better than other people, it makes relationships incredibly difficult. So what does Jesus do? Well, instead of like getting on these guys like I would have, if you would have, man, after three years, I can't believe you're, I just told you I'm going to die. I just told you I'm going to rise from the dead. You guys are talking about who's better than, you know, who can preach a better sermon and who could, you know, heal somebody faster. Instead of scolding them, here's what he does. He redirects them. And in your notes, this is what I want you to see. This is what he does. He shows them that the true path to greatness is to serve. It's to serve. Instead of telling them not to want or stop desiring greatness. He says, no, no, I'm going to show you how to really become great, and that's to serve. You know, some of you have heard the idea of a come-to-Jesus meeting. Have you heard this? Oh, I'm going to have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. Now, you've heard that, right? And what that means is that when something's going on and, and, and you really need to kind of get a, whole, a handle on it, you've got to bring everybody together and, 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 and you know, 
maybe knock some heads together sometimes, maybe not, but just, just have a change in paradigm. I think we get that phrase from what Jesus does next with his, with his boys. Watch this. Sitting down, Jesus calls a come to Jesus meeting. I love it. He called them together. He said, come on, come on, come on, come on. You guys are all wet here. You're all off. You know, this whole thing, the conversation on the road, way off. He, come, he brings them all together. He gathers them up. And he says to them, guys, anyone who wants to be the first, the greatest, the one where everybody's like, whoa, look at her, look at him, must be the very, say it with me, last. Must be the very last. And the servant of all. Total paradigm shift. You guys, are, you guys are on a path towards greatness or what you think the path is or, and what you think greatness is. I'm going to show you a totally different path towards becoming great. It, 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 here's what it looks like. You go low and you become a servant to all. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, everybody can become great because anybody can serve. Isn't that powerful? He took, took Jesus' words, turned them into his own, his own statement. Anyone can grow. Jesus says, anybody can come, become great because anybody can go low and serve. And then Jesus does something else. In his, in his little come to Jesus meeting, he grabs a little child. Listen, listen to what, this is what the text says. Watch this. He took a little child. And he, that, that, this is interesting. That he placed among them. When I read that, I thought, how did he do that? You ever want to read the Bible and wonder, ask those questions? Like, did he just take a child from somebody's family? Did he make a child? Did he, how did he, I, I don't know. Like, where'd the kid come from? I don't know. It just says that he placed them, like, in the, but he's Jesus, right? So I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven, right? So he, so he gets this kid that he grabs from nowhere, apparently, and, and, he, and he takes the kid in his arms, and he says to his guys, watch this, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And then he takes it a step further. Listen to what he says. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Who's the one? It's God the Father. So here's what we learn in this little come to Jesus meeting that Jesus does here. It's like the first one ever, right? This is what we learn in your notes there, that when we serve people, you're serving God. That's what he teaches. He's teaching, when you, when you serve people, and why does he grab a kid, by the way? Because he, here's the significance of the kid. Back in those days, historically, kids had very, very little value. Women had little value, and children were even, had less value than women did. In fact, when a child was born, the father had the prerogative to say, uh, we're, we're not keeping him. And, and a lot of fathers would do that, so they would take the child, they'd put it in the trash, literally in the, in the dump. It was called Gehenna. And the, and the father had the prerogative to do this. It was legal. It was, it was like a practice called uh, exposure. And oftentimes uh, fathers would decide to do it because they were poor. They couldn't afford the child. Or the child had some, for, some sort of deformity. Or the child was the wrong sex. Mostly a female. And so that he would just take the child and throw the child out. Children had very little value. So Jesus grabs a kid and he says, When you serve a child, someone who has a, no value, you're serving me. What can be greater than serving God, right? The path to true greatness, Jesus is teaching, is by serving God. 
It reminds me of a passage in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus was talking about how here's how the end is going to, here's how it's going to go down in the end. God's going to, the king's going to come back and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the ones who have faith in Christ. The goats are the ones who don't. And he's going to say to the sheep, come on into into the, the kingdom that God has prepared in advance for you. And this is what Jesus says happens next. He says to these people, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Now listen to all of these actions, right? These are actions. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. He continues, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the the sheep respond and they say, whoa, 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 time out. When did we feed you? I don't remember. When did we put clothes on you? I don't remember. When did we visit you in prison? I, I don't remember visiting you in prison, Jesus. In verse 40, Jesus responds and he says this. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. What is the the principle here? Jesus is saying, when you serve people, you serve God. He's not saying that you're saved by works. No, 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 no. We don't believe that at this church. We're We're not saved. We don't get to heaven because we worked our way to heaven. We're saved by faith or grace. But Jesus is saying, those who are saved will do some work. Amen? Those who have faith will be serving people. And when you serve people, you're serving God. The true path to greatness is to serve. Wow, what a principle. You say, well, how does this all tie into relationships? Isn't this a relationship series? Yeah, it is. Tom Holliday, in his book, The Relationship Principles of Jesus, ties it back in. He, in fact, he's got a whole chapter on this idea of serving to, to make your relationships better. Holliday says this, when you learn to plug this truth into your life, it will result in the greatest relationships possible and the greatest life possible. When you choose to serve others... It results in the greatest relationships possible and the greatest life possible, to which I ask a question, how? How does that work? Like, why? You always got to ask that question, right? Be inquisitive. Question it, right? Why does it equal, why does serving other people lead to a great relationship for me and a great life for me? How does that work? Well, I started to think about it. And I started to think about how I, start, how I feel when someone decides to meet my needs and serve my needs. And here's how, I realize, here's how I feel. I feel valued. I feel loved. I feel cared for. Anybody else? When someone serves you, when someone meets a need, how do you feel? Do you feel valued, cared for, and loved? I sure do. And so why wouldn't everybody else feel that way? And so I kind of started to put this together in my mind. I'm not the smartest person. Maybe this is uh, simplistic to you. I started to think about it this way. Well, if I start to serve and I, if I continue to serve the people in my life, they're going to feel valued and cared for and loved. And, and over time, eventually what they're going to do is reciprocate. They're going to give it back to me. And then you got two people saying, I'll serve you. And then, and, and then the other person says, no, 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 I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to meet your needs. And no, I'm going to meet your needs. And, and doesn't that sound like a great relationship? Yes or no? You get two people, two friends, two, two roommates, two business partners, two husband and wife, two friends. No, 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 no. Let me care for you. No, no, no. I, I insist. Let me care for you. That sounds like a great relationship to me. And that sounds like a great life to me. The other day I was rebounding for my son. I like, I like to rebound for him because I, I want him to shoot like Larry Bird. Anybody else want their kid to shoot like Larry Bird? So I do a lot of rebounding, and, and, and I got tired of rebounding at one point, and I said, you know what, let me shoot for a while. And so I started to shoot, and I didn't think he would rebound for me because, you know, he's 15. 
But he started rebounding for me. I said, oh, what are you, oh, so what are you doing? He said, Dad, you always rebound for me. The least I could do is rebound for you. And it just hit me. It's like, you know what? That's what happens. People reciprocate over time. Not, not tonight. Not tonight. Some of you are like, this is exciting. I'm going to go try this tonight. And it won't work tonight. <laughs> but over time, people will return in kind. Here's what the Bible says. You always harvest what you plant. Bank on it. You always harvest what you plant. You serve, you serve, you serve, you serve. Someone says, man, that's, that's, this person's awesome. I'm going to serve back. I'm going to serve back over time. They feel valued. They feel careful. They, they feel appreciative. And they give back. How does this look in your life practically? It's going to look different for everybody. Because the people in your life have different needs than the people in my life. It might simply look like you, have, you give a listening ear. It might simply look like you are physically present for that person. It might look like you just simply give an encouraging word. It looks different because people's needs are different. You start by asking, what does this person need? That's why I love the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Because it starts with asking, what does this person need? How does this person receive love? A lot of times we try to give love. We try to serve in a way that the person's not asking us to serve. (laughs) It's like we're speaking Chinese when all they understand is English. We say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm loving them. Well, you, you're, not loving, you're not serving them the right way. They're not hearing it, right? Yeah, but I kiss her all the time. I hug her and kiss her. And, uh, yeah, but she doesn't like that, <laughs> see? <laughs> Stop touching her. <laughs> There's an idea. Maybe she'll feel loved if you leave her alone, you know? <laughs> Fascinating book. So you start by asking, what does this person need? How do they receive love? You know, last weekend I was able to take the weekend off and Sean, uh, Mike, Sean, Mike, Michael Cass gave the talk and didn't he do a good job, guys? Awesome, love, love that guy. I don't know why I said Sean, it's Michael. Um, but we were able to get away for, for, Jackie and I were able to get away for a couple of days and, and the only reason we were able to get away is because my mother-in-law, my father-in-law watched our kids for 36 hours. Can we give it up for mothers and father-in-laws? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I sent my father-in-law this text message. I'll share it with you. I said, hey, Dad, thank you so much for watching the kids this weekend. You guys are a huge blessing. Jackie and I were able to connect and talk in a way uh, that a busy schedule often doesn't allow. Thank you so much. I love Mom and you, and I love your daughter. He texted back and said, you're so welcome. You know that we will we'll do anything for you and Jackie and the kids. Well, you know what? They served us in a way that we needed to be served. Because I have to get off the treadmill sometimes to get my brain straight and my soul straight. Because if you live at warp speed, you're going to warp your soul, right? Did you see that on Twitter? I just sent that out. Some of you are missing some gold on Twitter. (laughs) If you live at warp speed, you're going to warp your soul. Anyway, so we got off the treadmill and we did did what Michael Cass was talking about. How many of you guys went to Marriage Rocks? Remember we talked about two, two different types of vacations, the Pentecostal vacation and the Presbyterian vacation? We were able to have the Pentecostal vacation. You know which one that was? When there was a lot of speaking in tongues and laying on hands? Uh, that one? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You've got to come to Marriage Rocks to get this stuff, okay? Thank you, Dad. Sorry about that. Sorry, my father-in-law's here. That's embarrassing. Sorry, Dad. Um, we were able to be alone because my mother and father-in-law 
served us. They brought tremendous value to our marriage. This is what it looks like. It looks like sometimes you watch people's kids. It looks like sometimes you cook them a meal. It looks like maybe sometimes you help them clean their house. I don't know what it looks like. It just looks like you look at what, what is the need and then you, and then you meet that need. Because love is caring about and doing what someone needs most. Yes? Love is a verb. You know, I, I think there's no better way to wrap up this series than talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is our example. He did it. He did it. Towards the end of his human life, he had a meal with his disciples. And they were all gathered around eating the Passover meal before he went to the cross and, and at these types of meals, there was always a foot washer. There was always a servant. And the servant would go around and he would wash all the disciples' feet. But this particular meal, there was no servant. So Jesus gets up. And he takes off the towel that was wrapped around his waist. And he starts to wash his disciples' feet. The master, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, takes a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, hey guys, I have washed your feet so I want you to follow me and wash each other's feet. And then he says this in verse 15. I have set you, say it with me, an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so we talk sometimes at this church about grabbing a towel and just serving the people in your life, following Christ's example. My challenge for you today is to follow Christ's example within the context of your relationships. And start by asking, what is it that you need? And then taking action on that need. Jesus said in Luke 22, I'm among you as one who, say it with me, serves. Not rules, not leads, not dominates. I'm among you as one who serves. What would happen in your life, in your relationships, if you took the posture of a towel bearer, the posture of a servant, and said, I'll do it. You know what it looked like for me last night? Stupid example, stupid. I know, stupid. But there were two light bulbs out in our kitchen. Now listen, I can't do much in my home, but I can change some light bulbs. I can. I knew where they were. I knew what chair to get. And so before my, my wife was running an errand, she was out dropping the kids off somewhere, and I said, I'm going to go home and put this sermon into practice. Now, that's so silly, but I just thought, what, what could I do? I can't do much. What can I, what can I do? <laughs> I can change light bulbs. I can unload the dishwasher. I can do, I can put dishes on the table. And you just, and just, just to love on this woman, just to let her know, I value you. you. You're out driving the kids around. You're out food shopping. I'll do some other things. And you know what happens? She's, she's sweet. She, and then she kisses on me all the time. It's unbelievable. <laughs> great, great relationships. That's how it works. Jesus says, I'm among you as one who serves. In Philippians chapter two, Paul said this about Jesus. Jesus, even though he was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be leveraged or used to his own advantage. You know, Jesus could have more followers on Instagram today than, you know, all these famous people like Beyonce and uh, Taylor Swift. They got like 100 million followers on Twitter, on Instagram. Do you think Jesus could have more on Instagram? Yes or no? He could just film himself like walking on water. Everybody, and everybody would follow him. 
snap a picture. You know, some water into wine, snap a picture. And everybody would, but he, listen, he did not use it for his own advantage. Hundred millions, nothing on Instagram for Jesus, right? Instead, watch what he did. Rather, he made himself nothing, and he took on the very nature of a, say it, servant. When, 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 we, take, when we take this towel, and, and when we start serving people, we're serving God, and we're following Christ's example. And I'm just telling you, Jesus said, this is the path to true greatness. You want great relationships? You must love one another. Love is looking at what people need and taking action on that need. You know, today I want to wrap things up by celebrating communion. And communion is this incredible thing that God has given us. And it's a beautiful picture of the way Jesus served us. How did Jesus serve us? Well, he gave his life for us. In Romans 5, it says this, that God demonstrates his love by by doing something. Watch this. While we were still sinners, he took action and he died for us. He didn't just say, oh, I feel feel fond feelings towards you. No, He, he allowed himself to be crucified. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. And so today we have these, this juice and this bread. And Jesus said one time to his disciples, I want you to take this bread and I want you to break it. I want you to eat it. And when you eat it, here's what I want you to remember. My broken body, my flesh. That was broken for you. And then he took some wine and he said, I want you to drink this wine. And, and when you drink it, I want you to remember that, remember that it, it symbolizes my blood that I spilled for you. And so when we take communion, you know what we're, we're literally doing? We're remembering God's love for us. We're remembering that he took action for us. And then you know what else we're going to do today? We're just going to tie something else in, in with it. We're going we're to remember that we need to love others in the same way. That we need to serve others in the same way. We need to do what they need most. Because Christ did what we needed most, did he not? What did we need? We needed mercy, we needed grace, we needed forgiveness, we needed reconciliation. And how did he do it? He, he broke his body and he allowed his blood to be spilled so that we can have all that. So the band's going to come out in a moment here. And they're going to lead us in a song. And during this song, when you feel led, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you've trusted him as your savior, we want to invite you. There's stations all around the auditorium. There, there should be some upstairs. There's some gluten-free down here as well, if, you, if, you, if, that's, if that's you. And we're going to invite you to come and partake if you're a believer in Christ today. You can come grab this, take it back to your seat. And when you feel led to partake, you can eat and you can drink. And then I'll wrap us up. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for serving us by laying your life down as a ransom that we might receive the forgiveness of sins, that we might be reconciled back to you, that we might have grace, that we might find mercy. Help us to love others in the same way. Jesus, as we, as we partake in the, in the communion, those of us who are believers... Help us to remember your sacrifice and help us to follow your example. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his one and only son as a sacrifice 
to take away our sins. Perhaps today you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. You've never asked him to come into your life and wash away your sin. You know this, know this. He did everything possible so that you can have forgiveness of sins, so that you can be in a relationship with God. When we're up here singing, it is finished, the reason we're saying it is finished is because the, the work of the cross, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's over. Jesus did everything that needed to be done in order for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. Now it's up to you. What do you do with that? Well, what I did with it, and many others of us have done here, is we've just simply received it. We just simply put our confidence and trust in what Jesus did for us, the finished work of the cross. We simply ask Christ to come into our life, wash away our sin. We receive the gift of eternal life by receiving the forgiveness that comes from the cross. Perhaps you have to make that decision today. Perhaps you've never made that decision. Maybe today is the day. If you'd like to put your trust and confidence in Christ, it's a simple act of faith. It's a simple prayer. You just say to Jesus today, I I trust you. I believe what you did for me on the cross is real, is for me. I believe you did it because you love me and I'm gonna ask you to, to wash away all my sins. I wanna put my life in your hands and you trust him. If you'd like to do that today, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and simply reach out to him in faith. You can take my words that I'm about to pray and you can make them your own. It's not the words, it's the faith behind the words that count. Say this to Jesus right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I trust you today that you did everything that was necessary to wash away all my sin, all my guilt, all my shame, to put me in a right relationship with your Father. Come into my life, take over. I place my entire life in your hands. I seek your strength, your guidance, your help to live out the rest of my life for your honor and your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we wanna rejoice with you first of all. Can we give God a hand for what he's done? Something very essential, very essential that you need, something that someone told me right out of the gate. I'm so thankful for this is that you need to begin reading the New Testament. You need to begin reading the Bible. And so that's why every single week, if if anyone prays that prayer to put their faith in Christ, we want to give you a New Testament to get started. There's tables back here to my right and to my left. If you pray to receive Christ, if you have a friend that just prayed to receive Christ, go back to that table and grab a one New Testament. I love this little book because it's broken down into into little five-minute readings according to today's date. I read these every morning, read it again in Mark Mark chapter 8 this morning before church and every single time I read without fail God encourages me he instructs me he shows me something about his own character he gives me something I need to work on and it just helps me to grow in my faith so if you pray to receive Christ today please grab one of these on your way out can we give God one more and awesome thank you Lord
So what do we do? Uh, what do we do as we leave here? Hey, here's what you do. Go change some light bulbs. I don't know. I don't know what you need to do. Here's what, here's what you need to do. You need to go first. You need to kind of figure out what are the needs of the people in my life? What are they? Is it some, your physical presence? Is it an encouraging word? Is it folding some laundry? Is it going to Kroger to get some groceries? I don't know what it is. Painting something. And then take action. Take action. After your Sunday nap, of course. Take action. And, and, and you take action every single day. And you just watch. And you, and you see if it doesn't improve the quality of the relationship, relationships in your life. And then also the quality of your life. What I love about Jesus' teachings as we wrap up here. And I'm done, I promise. What I love about Jesus' teachings is that you can like take them and you can go test them out. I love it. It's like life is a, is a science lab. And you take a, a principle like love your neighbor as yourself or do unto others as you wish they would do unto you or, or the greatest among you must be the last or the servant of all. And then you can go and you can take that and then you can go work on it with your kids or work on it with your spouse or work on it with your best friend. And, see, and you can test it out and see if it works and see if it doesn't lead to abundant life and eternal life that Jesus talked about. That's what I love about church and that's what I love about Christianity. And that's what I love about the teachings of Jesus. And what I'm finding, what I'm finding is that it works. Anybody else? I'm telling you, go first, put it into action. It works. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your finished work on the cross. Thank you for the teachings you've given us about where true greatness is found. Thank you for teaching us that when we serve people, we're really serving you. Thank you for showing us that love is something that we must do if we're to experience the kind of life you describe. And so help us to go first today as we leave here. Help us to take action. Help us to love by serving others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hey, next week we're starting a brand new series called Unoffended. You are not going to want to miss it. It's a four-week series. God bless you. Bring a friend.